Thank you for listening to the Waterstone Community Church podcast. We hope you're enjoying God's word proclaimed. We are a growing movement of transformed people, reshaping the culture to reflect God's heart. If you'd like to know more about Waterstone or to find out about our service times, please visit us at waterstonechurch.org. A meeting from the book of Matthew. When Jesus saw the ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed climbed with him, arriving at a quiet place. He sat down and taught his climbing companions, and this is what he said. You are blessed when you are at the end of your rope. With the less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You are blessed when you feel you have lost what is most dear to you. Only then you can be embraced by the one most dear to you. You are blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that cannot be bought. You are blessed when you have worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you will ever eat. You're blessed when you kill at the moment of being careful. You find yourself careful. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart, put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate, cooperate instead of compete or fight. That is when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort, but they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer, even, for though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds, and know that you are in good company. My prophets, my witnesses, has always gotten into this kind of trouble. The, the Lord, word of the Lord. Elliot had you talking about, got us thinking about guilty pleasure TV shows. I'm gonna talk about guilty pleasure food. So think about yours. Mine is pumpkin muffins. I cannot stand to, to bake pumpkin muffins and eat just one. I don't really admit this to my family. They wonder why they disappear so fast. It's because like I hoard them, I take two or three at a time. I actually have to limit the amount of times that I cook pumpkin muffins during the year because they're my guilty pleasure, I love them. You're thinking, you may be judging me, but you have your own guilty pleasures, I know you do. <laughs> you know what's hilarious is apparently we have guilty pleasure foods based on parts of the United States we are from. So, we're gonna do this together, anybody from the South? All right, your guilty pleasure is apparently grits and fried chicken, is that about right? All right, Midwesterners, you get meat and potatoes. New Englanders, you get lobster and syrup. 
We, well, I know, that would be a little disgusting together. And then I'm a little disappointed in this one because I consider myself a Westerner. We get tacos and Cobb salad. <laughs> that just sounds sad, Cobb salad. It's not really a guilty pleasure. <laughs> it's kind of healthy. Not only do we have these by region, but it's, it's kind of funny. We have other nations that look at the things that we eat and they make a judgment call on it. We, we do that with each other. We, we want our own guilty pleasures, but we think somebody else's is ridiculous or, or humorous. So I found this article. Um, ironically, it's from a newspaper in Ireland. Fun that it happens to be the weekend that we have the Copelands here, and there are global workers to Ireland. And the article is called 27 Foods Americans Eat That We Would Never Touch. So we've got some pictures. I want to show you some of our guilty pleasures that they think are ridiculous. And I need to read you the captions that they put with these pictures. This one is Frito pie. And they say, this is not even a pie, but Americans insist on calling it that. It's a packet of crisps with cheese and chili thrown on top. Imagine we mixed up King Crisps and peanuts in the pub and call it a King Crisp pie. Wouldn't happen. Here's our next one, Sloppy Joe's. If you even watched just five minutes of American TV as a child, you've probably wondered what in the world a sloppy joe is. It's still not totally clear. <laughs> but it looks like a mint sandwich. <laughs> this one embarrassed me, spray cheese. Doesn't that bother you that we're known for spray cheese? It should. It says, and it's always with crackers. Is this made solely for crackers or what? One of their other 27 was an entire jar of cheese. Yeah, peeps, coming up on Easter. They say, these little marshmallow ducks will never go down well after that episode of Malcolm in the Middle, when Malcolm's brother Francis attempted to eat 100 of them and they expanded in his stomach. <laughs> and then the last one kind of offended me because I'm a root beer lover, but it says, this tastes exactly like cough medicine, not very refreshing at all. <laughs> uh, when it comes to food, we long for some pretty funny things, some healthy and some not so much. We are in the midst of a sermon series on the Beatitudes. We're actually talking about things that we long for, things that sometimes are good for us and we're intended to long for, and other times things that we long for because we're longing for something um, and when in actuality we should be longing for Jesus. So the last three weeks we talked about what it means to be poor in spirit, uh, what it means to mourn, and what it means to be meek. And today, we're going to talk about what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we'll hear this, but righteousness really kind of captures the longing of the first three. But before we jump into that and uh, kind of unwrap what that means, let me pray for us this morning. God, thank you for this opportunity to come together and hear your word. For the chance to wrestle through some things to investigate our hearts, to look into the things that we long for, and to ask the hard question as to whether we long for other things before we long for you. God, would you send your spirit today and give us ears to hear the words you would share with us? Would you soften our hearts so that we can not only hear those words, but help them play out in our lives? We pray these things in your name. Amen. So we all hunger and thirst for something. We are actually made to hunger and thirst. Uh, we talk a lot about hungering and first thirsting for food. Those are the most obvious things that we hunger and thirst for. But we also hunger and thirst for other things. We might hunger and thirst for right relationships. 
We might hunger and thirst for a, a new job or more money or more comfort, but all of us hunger and thirst for something. It's part of our human wiring. In this particular passage, when Jesus is talking to the people, he's actually talking to a group of people that know what it truly means to hunger and thirst, like to hunger and thirst out of this place of desperation. And that, at times, can be hard for us to imagine because we have access to food and water. So we may not be unable to truly understand the depth of their disparity, but I think we can at least figure out what it's like to be pretty thirsty. For me, as I was thinking about it, the time that I was the most thirsty that I can remember is when I ran a marathon in Phoenix a number of years ago, and I got to mile 21, and it was a long ways until I saw the next water station, and I was parched. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't think about anything else, which is a lot to say at mile 21 because your whole body hurts. All I could think about was the fact that I was really thirsty. So everybody that was running around me that had their little water packs that still had water in them and they would squirt their water inside, everything just made me think about, gosh, I so desperately need a drink of water. That's this idea of hunger and thirst that Jesus is talking about in this beatitude. It's not just this passing, hey, I'm hungry and thirsty. It's this idea that I am so parched, it's the only thing that I can think about. It's I'm actually hungry and thirsty out of a place of desperation. And I think that this is brilliant because Jesus is actually using something physical that we can all associate with that's a very outpouring of our being we can't, there's not a day that goes by that we're not hungry and thirsty. He takes the physical and he associates it with the, the uh, spiritual. He wants us to understand that just like we have this, this physical hunger and thirst, we also have this spiritual hunger and thirst. And just like our physical hunger and thirst leads us to this place of desperation, so our, our spiritual hunger and thirst leads us to that same place. So that's kind of just a preview of what this idea of hunger and thirst looks like. But then the next, the next question is, well, what exactly are we supposed to hunger and thirst after? And, he's, and he uses this word righteousness. Now, I need to talk a little bit about righteousness because we misconstrue, we misconstrue this definition. The, the dictionary definition of righteousness is kind of the image of this gal holding the scales and the sword. It's, it's this pursuit of what is right according to moral law. So when we think of uh, kind of Bible characters that would pursue righteousness, we think of the Pharisees. Now, oftentimes, we give them a bad name. We, think, we say, well, gosh, they were, they were fighting for something that was really ridiculous. They took it too far. But actually, they were fighting for exactly what they thought they were supposed to be fighting for. They were fighting for something good. They were fighting for consistency with the word of God and the laws of God because God gave us those laws for our own benefit, not so that we wouldn't hurt one another, we wouldn't hurt him, we wouldn't hurt creation. So it, the intent was really good. They wanted to follow what God had said. The problem is, is that they took something that was intended for good and they made it the ultimate. So instead of it being about God's laws, they became the judges. They, they became the ones that determined whether or not they were doing something right or wrong, and more often than not, someone else was doing something right or wrong. Where we need to make sure that we don't miss is that we do the exact same thing. We embrace this as our definition of righteousness. Things are righteous, things are just, things are good in the world if I think they're good in the world. And if it doesn't follow what I think is good, then it's not right. 
So I might sit all day long and think that I'm doing the wrong, right thing and you're doing the wrong thing, and so I just end up pointing fingers. And that isn't righteousness, that's self-righteousness. That's not what this passage is talking about. When Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he's talking about a different definition of righteousness that we've got here. Up, oh, other one, sorry. Do we have a righteousness? There we go, thank you, Tara. Righteousness, the description of a world in which all things are in right relationship with God and acting according to their created purposes. The definition of righteousness that Matthew's using, that he's repeating from Jesus, is this idea that righteousness is the intent of how God created the world when he created it. God created the world and us. He created us to be holy and just and right and good because he is holy and just and right and good. Righteousness is this yearning that we have for something that was intended to be. It's, it's the desire for things to be right like they were in the garden. It's the desire for us to experience the way God created all of the world in right relationship with him, in right relationship with each other, and in right relationship with creation. That's what righteousness is. And we have to distinguish between the two because one is righteousness according to who God is and his character, and the other is self-righteousness that's dependent on our opinion of what we, the way we think things should go. The beauty about this kind of righteousness, God's kind of righteousness, is then all of a sudden it makes sense. When he said, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That means that when we're spiritually hungry and thirsty, the thing we're spiritually hungry and thirsty for is the way we were intended to be made and created and in relationship with each other. We're longing for the way things are supposed to be and our hunger and thirst actually come out of a recognition that we live in a fallen world where sin entered the world and at that moment all things broke. Our relationship with God is broken, with people is broken, uh, with the world is broken. So this hunger and thirst is this desperation to return back to the way things were supposed to be. As I was thinking about who's an example of somebody that really got this, who's a Bible character, that really, somebody in the Bible that really got this, and I thought of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Um, before I go there, though, I wanna back up real quick because I do like this Kathy Detto quote, <clears throat> just for us to land on this idea of righteousness. She says this, what is righteousness? Often I think we assume it is the achievement of some perfect and unnatural state. But righteousness is simpler and far broader than that. Righteousness is having all things set right. When there is righteousness in the world, then all things will be in right relationship with one another and will be living and acting according to their created purpose. To desire righteousness in ourselves is to desire that we are living in line with who we were created to be and not in rebellion to it. Jesus says here that one who is hungering for righteousness is blessed. This means that these people are those who ache to see things made right in all places. The desire is so deep, so intense, that they feel they cannot live without it. I think that quote sets Mary up really well. If we think about Mary um, when she's pregnant with Jesus in Luke 1, here she is, she's a young girl, she's pregnant, miraculously. She hasn't been with another man. Um, God has given her this baby, and she's wrestling with all of this. I mean, can you imagine what that would be like to be 13 
ish and have that experience. And so she, like would have been customary for young, young girls, she went to the nearest um, family member who could help her kind of walk through pregnancy, and that was her cousin Elizabeth, who lived about 80 miles away. So she takes this long walk to get there. And when she gets there, um, just has this incredible time with Elizabeth where Elizabeth affirms the things that God's blessing on Mary. What's fascinating to me, and the reason I think she really understands this idea of hungering and thirsting for righteousness is Mary was very aware of her own hunger and thirst. Physically, I think her hunger and thirst came from the fact that she was young, so she wouldn't have had any status. She was a woman, so she would not have had any voice. And she was poor, so she didn't have any resources. She was somebody that we would think of as legitimately in need. She, didn't, she just didn't have. But I think Mary also understood that she was hungry and thirsty in a spiritual sense. She was very aware of her sin nature. She was very aware of her brokenness before God. She was aware of the fact that nothing she could do could earn God's favor. She did not do a thing for her to be chosen to be the one that was gonna give birth to Jesus. It was only by God's grace that she was even forgiven. And she was aware of that. So here she is very, very aware of her own hunger of thirst, both physically and spiritually. But what's key for Mary is that she knew that the thing she was hungry and thirsty for, or what we can see, is she was, she was hungry and thirsty for his righteousness. She was hungry and thirsty for a time when the, the promises of the Bible, the promises that had been given to her by her ancestors would be fulfilled through the son that she was about to give birth to. That these promises were that, yes, we had this, this earth that was this world that was created perfectly with, um, by a good God who is just and kind and beautiful, and then sin entered the world, and everything broke. But this baby was coming to be the Messiah, and his birth meant that God was sending his son to reestablish his kingdom on the earth, to bring all things back to him, to begin to restore things back to the way that they were intended to be. And that at one point, that king, that Messiah would return again and he would restore all things back to himself for an eternity. Mary had a sense of this and she trusted in God's faithfulness. So she was blessed because she hungered and thirsted for righteousness. And then the end of that verse goes to, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. You know, if we think about it, our hunger and thirst, like we don't, I had to bring water up because apparently when you preach on hunger and thirst, you're like thirsty the whole time. So I'll just, you know, keep drinking a little bit. Um, when we're hungry and thirsty, if I drink some water, it's not the only time during the day that, that I'm gonna drink it, right? We, we drink and we eat, and then it, we're okay for a little bit, and then we have to drink and eat, and then we're okay for a little bit, and we have to drink and eat. This hungering and thirsting for righteousness is not a one-time deal. This is a thing we need to do again and again and again, and again, our whole lives. And when we hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, then he fills us with his hope of the reality that when his son came, he did establish his kingdom. And that even though life is hard, that we get glimpses of the space where he is restoring creation back to himself. That he's using us as a community to do that for the community around us and across the world and for one another. And the hope that one day when Christ does return, all things will return, be restored back to the way they are intended to be. 
But that filling can't happen just once. We need to eat and drink of righteousness and then we will be filled. Eat and drink of righteousness and we will be filled. Let me read Mary's song for us and you'll get a glimpse of that righteousness in her hunger and thirst. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. One of the things that I think is notable about this prayer, it's almost a psalm that she's saying in the, in the midst of um, her journey before Jesus is born. The first part uh, was all about her. She's talking about, she's praising God. Thank you for, I, I hunger and thirst after you. I trust in your righteousness. I hunger for you. And then the last two slides were really about Mary's heart for other people. Because one of the things that happens when we're filled with the person of God, when we're reminded of his righteousness, is our heart becomes more like his. And out of us flows that same heart to reflect onto other people. This isn't an individual act, and it's not one where we just have this one-on-one relationship with God. This is all about what God has done for us and how that then reflects onto those around us. So the last two slides are all about Mary praying that other people would hunger and thirst for God's righteousness and that they would be filled. Here's what I wanted to do with this passage. I wanted to talk about hungering and thirsting and I wanted to talk about righteousness and then I wanted to give us a rally call to go out and get involved in a ton of different things that we do through Waterstone that have to do with justice. I wanted to have a list for you, and I wanted to give you websites, I wanted to encourage you to go and serve, but something inside of me said that that wasn't the right application for today. Because I think that what we really need to focus on is whether or not we're really hungry and thirsty for righteousness. So I've been wrestling with this all week. I don't really know what it's like to hunger and thirst. It has never been a life and death situation for me. I would guess that's true for you. I may be wrong, there may be somebody in here that's experienced that. But I have never, I've never not had access to clean water. I've never not had access to food. I've never had to worry about whether my kids would live or die another day because they didn't have access to the same things. If I don't really know what it's like to be that desperate in my hunger and thirst, then I'm worried I'm missing what this passage is really asking of me. And I'm convinced that we are missing what this passage is asking of us because we don't really know what it's like to hunger and thirst. And the way that we translate our physical is often the way that we translate our spiritual. 
So my, where my head goes is, I've read this passage, I don't even know how many times, and I almost skim over it, because my head goes to, well, I'm not hungry and thirsty, so I'm good to go. But what I realized is that then I translate that spiritually. Well, I'm not really hungry and thirsty, so I'm good to go. I, what that really means is, I don't really need you, God, I got it covered. And I think that we're, we're walking a dangerous line because we happen to live in a place where we have. So as I was thinking about how do we associate this, I realized we don't know, we may not be able to, to understand real hunger and thirst, but we understand dehydration. So I wanna talk a little bit about dehydration. This was a fascinating statistic to me. According to studies, 75% of us are perpetually dehydrated. We can't, we don't, we don't have enough water. Um, 43% of us that are dehydrated all the time, this is, what, this is the reason that we say we don't drink enough water, because we're not thirsty. Here's the problem. By the time we're thirsty, we're already dehydrated. Take that over to the whole spiritual realm. We don't drink because we're not thirsty, but by the time we drink, we're already dehydrated. Here's the other thing I found out. We're dehydrated because we replace water with other things. We like our coffee, we like our tea, we like our beer and wine, we like our flavored water. We've decided that plain old water is boring so we replace it with all of these other things that actually end up dehydrating us. Similarly, how often do we spiritually think that God and Jesus and the things he invites us to are bland? And so we look for other things to fill us up. There is something about this idea of dehydration and our awareness of it that I think is vital because when we, if we are people that statistically ignore our thirst and we have access to water and we don't use it, how much so is that true of our spirituality? We have access to Jesus. I would guess it's probably pretty similar that 75% of us don't take advantage of that. We don't go to Jesus. We don't talk to God. We don't hunger and thirst for his righteousness because we have, we have access to everything we need. We don't really need him, or so we think. David Martin Lloyd-Jones has a quote that wrecked me, messed with me this week. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I do not know of a better test that anyone can apply to himself or herself in this whole matter of the Christian profession than a verse like this. If there, this verse is to you one of the most blessed statements of the whole of scripture, you can be quite certain you are a Christian. If it is not, then you had better examine the foundations again. I don't think that we find it a blessed statement. Now let me stop a minute and talk to some in here. Because there are some of you here who are blessed because you're poor in spirit. And blessed because you're mourning. And blessed because you're meek. There are those of you who are in here who are struggling with physical pain or you're facing your own mortality 
or you're struggling with a marriage that is broken, or you're single and you have a desire for someone and you can't find that relationship, or you just lost your job, or life seems bleak. And I wanna remind you that in that case that Jesus says, blessed are you. That you're, you are hungering and thirsting after righteousness because the very realization that those things are amiss and that you're hurting and that you're struggling and that you're wondering and you're yelling out to God why means that you are reflecting his very own heart because you are passionate about his righteousness and the way things are supposed to be. And I wanna encourage you that his promise is to keep reaching out because he will continue to fill you. I think though that there are others of us in this room who don't think about our thirst because we're filling ourselves up with other things or we just don't slow down long enough to think about whether or not we're thirsty. To us, I feel very confident that if this just stays inside of us as an activity of the head and we don't take it outside of this room that nothing changes. That it's just one more piece of God's word that we heard and then we move on. Now I think that we need to change that. We are a church that is passionate about other people and we are passionate about the community and we are passionate about getting you to neighbor and to go out and do all of these things. And my challenge to you is if your heart isn't right this way, then when we go out and we serve other people, we're doing that from a place of self-righteousness because we're deciding what that should look like and we haven't even bothered to check in with the one who built us to have that desire in the first place. So I have some questions that I want you to think about. And at first I was thinking I would have you write them down and then I realized you have cell phones. So I want you to take out your cell phones and I want you to take a picture of these questions. And I used to be, in my previous life, a third through fifth grade teacher, so I'm really good at waiting until you get your cell phones out. I am this passionate about you taking a picture of these questions. I realized we don't need to have anything written down and stick it on our mirror because we have a built-in way to remember to ask ourselves if we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness and if we're allowing God to fill us. We've got to eat and drink multiple times every day. So I would love for our prayer to be that God would prompt us, that we would remember, that we would remind each other to ask ourselves and each other these questions throughout the week every time we are hungry or thirsty. So here they are. We're all hungry for something. We all hunger or thirst for something. What are you hungry and thirsty for? Now, don't cheat. Like, don't write, you know, I want a glass of wine. That doesn't count. Don't, don't try to, you know, don't pull that over on me. You got really think about this. Um, what are you doing with the hunger and thirst God made you with? He created us to hunger and thirst, but what are you doing with it? Are you hungering and thirsting after things of the world? Are you hungering and thirsting after things that you want to be the agenda? Or are you hungering and thirsting after God's righteousness? And then last one. Are you bothered by the injustices that occur to others? Or are you only concerned with the injustices that impact your own life? I think we have a little bit of a uh, checks and balances in place. Because if we are concerned about the injustices of others, 
oftentimes that's a reflection of the fact that we are really spending our time with God, we're asking him, we're hungering and thirsting for him, we're desiring his righteousness, and because of that, like Mary, we desire righteousness for other people. But if we're stuck in a place where we're just concerned about the injustices about ourselves, we may have forgotten that we're thirsty, and we may have tried, or we may have tried to fill ourselves with something else. So instead of asking about the, going to God, we're really trying to come up with our own answers. So I just think this is a great time for us to stop and remember that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. This is actually the call to the gospel. This is a reminder of the meta-narrative of scripture that says in creation, God created us to be beautiful and good and right and just and sin came into the world and broke that relationship and Christ came and he established his kingdom and his kingdom come means that that righteousness has begun here on earth and upon his return, all things will be restored back to the way that they were intended to be. There will be no more tears, there will be no more pain, there will be no more suffering. Those are the things that Jesus calls us to in this beatitude. Amen? Amen. Well, this morning we get to celebrate communion together, which I think in light of our passage is a pretty um, amazing thing, a beautiful thing. And as I was reflecting on communion this week, a couple of things struck me. The first is this. Um, I love that everyone gets to eat together. And I think that sometimes when we come to communion, uh, those of you who are new or visiting, communion at Waterstone is for anyone who calls them, considers themselves a follower of Jesus. I think sometimes we worry that we can't come and celebrate communion because we're a mess. But Jesus celebrated communion, that first Lord's Supper, with a whole bunch of people that were a mess. One betrayed him and a bunch that just kind of turned their back on him. So I wanna, I wanna celebrate the fact that we are a mess together and God continues to call us to his table to celebrate with him. The second thing is that we talked about this passage today as, as an individual piece, but really it's a corporate piece. And it's hard for us to understand in a Western culture that is so individualistic, but I think one of the ways that we can live out hungering and thirsting together is through the celebration of communion. When we come together with our differences, the community sees that there's something different about us. And what we know is that that difference is Jesus. That we come and celebrate his, his body and his blood knowing that one day we'll get to sit at the table with him. And that, blood and, or that body and that blood will be right across the table from us. So this is a chance just for us to reflect on Christ's birth, death, resurrection and as we come to the table. Again, for those of you who are visiting, let me just give you a quick overview of how we do communion. We'll have servers around the room. Um, Gluten-free elements will be back here. When you're ready, you are welcome to come to any of the stations. You just tear off a little piece of bread from a loaf and then dump it in, our, uh, in the cup. It's grape juice. And then you can either eat right there or you can take it back to your seat, whatever, is most con- whatever you want to do. Either is great with us. Uh, but let me read for us from Matthew before you take communion. And then we'll have some music in the background and when you're ready, feel free to take of, come up and take. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup 
And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now and on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When you are ready, feel free to come and take communion.